I want to thank you all for being here. It's just been a privilege. I don't, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, gosh, you guys have been coming out and uh, uh, we've been having growth, which has been wonderful. And it's about a oh, couple, two, ten people. And last week we had a growth of over 60 people. And it, uh, yeah, that, that is so great. And uh, it looks like we've got about the same amount uh, this week. So thank you for coming. Uh, I, I, Rob and I were just talking in the back, and he said, let's not mess it up. Let's not mess it up. <laughs> so I'm not sure he wanted me to preach or not. I don't know what he, meant, <laughs> what he meant by that. But we are in the book of Romans. And would you please turn with me to the 14th chapter and watch how, just how much fun it is to see how Paul brings us along this path into this, uh, into this serving one another. If you remember with me, we got to the 12th chapter. And it was after the, 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 uh, the 11th chapter that the Lord God said in the 12th chapter, I urge you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto the Lord. And with that statement in chapter 12, verse 1, and Wayne, it is so good to see you. How are you feeling? All right? Praise the Lord. He had, his, he had just a, just went to the hospital, thought he had a little bit of a flu, and he had a, his appendix exploded on him. And so he had to have an operation, and he just hates it. I pointed him out. I mean, he's, you can see he's starting to go down in his seat. I, I, have, I ask your forgiveness. I, I didn't mean to do that to you. But out of nowhere, Paul starts chapter 12 in verse 1, and he turns this over from this whole section of Scripture, verses, chapters 1 through 11, on how to know that you know the Lord. And it's all by faith. It's nothing of works. There's nothing that you can do to make God more happy with you. He loves you just as you are. What He wants you to do, and me and all of us to do, is to have faith in Him, trust in Him for the forgiveness of our sins. Allow what He did upon the cross to be everything for our lives so that we might have an eternal eternity with him and so he got through teaching us that paul did and so he moves into chapter 12 and he shifts gears on us and he says okay for these first 11 chapters you've been receiving 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 from god now now as a believer in jesus christ give back present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto the lord and then he started teaching us how, that we are to love one another. Oh, I mean, loving is, is the very essence of the theme of Scripture. It's just, the, it runs through all of Scripture. There should be a love for one another. And he taught about that, and he taught about how we are to uh, respect those who govern over us. And we went from one issue to another. And then he got to the point where he said, love doesn't fail. Love, he says, fulfills the law. Now he pleaded with us last week. Let's just kind of talk a little bit about chapter 13. He pleaded with us that there is a sense of urgency within our lives. That urgency is that we have some God-given time. Now that word time was very critical for, for us to understand in the Greek because it's not the word C-H-R-O-N-O-S in the Greek which is time as with a watch. No, it's not that kind of time when he says there is time for us to do something. He is talking about K-A-I-R-O-S. It means time, using the time for a specific 
I can't think of the word. It's like a, a special significance. It's a, he uses it almost as an urgency. He says in chapter 13, if you remember, from verses 11 to verse 14, he said, wake up. The hour is at hand. Therefore, he says, because you are to go out into the highways and the byways, you are to make your life as a believer uh, 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 something of significance. He says, put on the armor of light, if you remember, he said, and also put on the armor of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul explains more fully in Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 11, he warns us why we are to put on this armor of God. It says, he says, so that we would be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And so this, this moment of urgency, this special significance that you and I are to have with this time that God has given us is to, is to put on the armor of God so that we can stand firm against anything that comes against us. And so Paul began this section that we studied last week, chapter 13, verse 11, by saying, and this do, that's what he says. Do what? Well, we studied last week, verses 8 and 10, love one another. This fulfills the law, our loving one another. And our Lord places such a great, a great urgency and importance upon love. In Romans, no, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples. And I was challenged to memorize this verse a, a long time ago. And Jesus starts this off by saying, A new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another. Then he tells them how. Even as I have loved you, so he says you should have love for one another. And he says, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, when we go out into the highways and the byways, people will know. When people come here to visit this church and they see those of us that attend here and we have a caring, loving for one another, people will know we're followers of Jesus Christ if we have that kind of love. Well, Paul now is going to ask us as believers, as we move into chapter 14, to extend this love for one another by caring or accepting those of us who are weak in faith. That's in chapter 14, verse 1. But the question is, as we're going to study this, is who are the ones who are weak in faith? Why are we to care for them? Why is that of, of importance? And what you're going to see, it's, we'll see in a moment. Before we read these verses, I want to remind you that next Saturday night is daylight something time. Saving or losing, I don't know which. But uh, next week, if you please remember, when you go to bed, set your clocks. I've been taught now twice because I keep forgetting. Ahead. In other words, if you go to bed, say 10 o'clock, it is therefore what? 11. Good for you. I didn't know that last night. So when we go to bed next week on Saturday at 10 o'clock, set your clocks to 11, and then you won't come, and you can figure out whether you'll be early or late. I can't do that. I didn't know that there would be math in this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, let's read, um, read this place in Scripture, chapter 14, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I want you to know that if you and I can understand what Paul is teaching us here, we're going to be a better church. We're going to be a better people. We're going to understand what it really means to care for each other. 
Read with me, please. Chapter 14, verse 1. Paul says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now he explains. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regards with contempt him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. Then Paul asks, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will. For the Lord is able to make you and me stand. Boy, uh, thanks, Doug. I love that amen. That is a perfect amen. Because that is the truth of the gospel. The truth of this message, as we close it up, will be the very fact that God is able to make us stand. Therefore, what Paul is saying to you and me, be careful of judging another. Now, before we get into this and before I pray, let me just say to you this. He is not speaking about sin. None of these issues that Paul is speaking about, for instance, eating vegetables or not eating vegetables, it's not a sin issue. He's talking about judging others over um, some habits that you have or some traditions that you have picked up. We have a, a group of people here from different, different areas and different sections, come from different churches. And some of us have picked up some habits in one church that we would bring here to this. And they, don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily right or wrong and, and Paul is saying, don't judge another person if they do that. And don't you, if you do it, judge another, another person if they don't. In other words, he is saying, care for one another, especially the one who is weak in faith. Now, to me, it's very interesting here because in the second verse of chapter 14, he mentions the one who is weak in faith is the one who doesn't eat everything but only eats vegetables you would think that's the person who is more disciplined more uh, separatist and paul is saying no i think what we're going to find out here as we close is there is no real strong or weak in faith there is just believers whom we will stand because the lord will allow us to stand that's the issue now let's pray before i get into too much trouble away from my notes. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this group of people. Thank you for this particular church and, and uh, what you are doing in our midst. Uh, just the number of, as Rob was telling me, the number of young people upstairs. It's just getting packed. And thank you, Father. Thank you so much. I pray that we care for every, every soul that you bring our way. And would we be careful to love every, everybody and to care for them and to hopefully teach the Word of God as clearly as we possibly can. And so, Lord, I ask you to, to, to open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law and that you would move me aside so that I do not interfere with what you want to say and that you would just teach us all, myself, everyone else. Teach us, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. As I've already mentioned, since I have it in my notes, sin is not the only danger that comes within a church. 
Sin's terrible, but it's not the only danger. Sometimes certain attitudes, certain behaviors can destroy a a fellowship within the body of Christ, can cripple the work, the witness, the unity within a church just as quickly as sin can. You see, normally these problems that come that aren't sin, but they're uh, differences that arise between one group of believers and others over matter that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. It's just a, a matter of someone's personal taste, their traditions, the things that they hold on to. Let me just say to you, uh, whatever this means, it doesn't mean a lot, but I want you to know, for every year that I've ever been in this position as a pastor of a church, I've never once, not one time, chosen the color of any carpet that's ever been in the church. Not once. Never once have I chosen what color we should paint it. Ne- I don't even know right now, and, and Mickey probably be my, my witness on this, I, I have no idea how to adjust the air conditioner. I don't. I have no idea where our safe is, or for that, know the combination, or if it's a lock or not a combination. I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know how many of you give a lot and how many of you give just a little. It doesn't matter to me. And I don't want to know that for for fear that that Jeff doesn't give a lot and and you do. And so, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. <laughs> and I, I would do that. I would, I would be fearful that I would be that rude. And so I don't want to know. I want to. I just want to love everybody that God brings our way. And I think that's a great attitude for us to have within the body of Christ. Just to be a group of people who have, by the grace of God, come to believe and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, been given everlasting, eternal life. And by the grace of God, we can enjoy one another. There is one thing of this church, one thing of this church, if I could change, I would. I pray for it often. And that is that we would have people of color in our church, that we would have people of all different races, of all different mixed, that we just would be, that would be my, my that's my prayer. Um, that's what I would love. I would love for us to resemble heaven when we get there. So we'll see what God will do. But anyways, anyways, that's enough of that, is it not? That is enough of that. Um, I wish Hush was here. He'd tell you how much I want that, and he would tell us how to do it. But, um, and so when matters are imposed, when someone has a, a tradition that another person doesn't have, there's, a, there's this chance of causing confusion, strife, disharmony. And that's something that a church doesn't need the particular danger of unity in a body of believers is the conflict that Paul is speaking about here in chapter 14 verses 1 and forward he is talking about those who are weak in faith and therefore consequently those who are strong in faith and he says that either or or both can shackle or threaten the 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 certain stability within the body of Christ. You see, the church, you and me, we are supposed to be a witness to the world. We are supposed to be a witness to people who come in here. Maybe they've heard there's something about this place. You ought to come and investigate. We ought to be a witness to those who come here of the power of Jesus Christ, that it binds together people of dissimilar backgrounds, into genuine unity based on genuine love, which 
Paul says in chapter 13, verses 8 and 10, brings about a fulfillment of the law of God, our love for one another. Now, this is not easy. It's not easy to to have love for one another because the church is full of those of us who are weak, not so wise, not so strong. Look with me or listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Here's, here's the deal with Corinthians, the book, first and second chapters. Uh, yes, chapter 1 and chapter, uh, first and second book, first Corinthians, second Corinthians. That book was written to a church that was in disarray. The people in Corinth were a mess. And Paul was trying to fit them together. He was trying to, to have them bring unity with one another. But they were a group of carnal believers. And they were judging Paul. And so Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he said, Consider your calling, brethren. Watch what he says now. He says, There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But, verse 27, note, God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Do you ever watch the voice where, where Blake does something like this? Well, when it says the foolish things of the world, I feel like there's a finger going up from heaven just pointing at me like that. I'm like the foolish things of this world to bring shame to the wise. God has chosen, Paul goes on to write, the weak things of this world to shame the things that are strong. You see, God had a purpose. God has chosen some of us who are weak and foolish and not wise and not noble and not mighty. And he wants us to bring unity into the body of Christ. You notice he says not all. There are some of you who are mighty, some of you who are noble, and you are to help us to bring unity into the body of Christ so as to confound the world in which we live. I think I know why. I think I know why the Lord has done that. I think he has done that so that people will see Christ instead of us. They'll see the majesty of Jesus Christ and what he has done here within these four walls instead of thinking, whoa, no wonder they're doing so well. Look, this this person's really great and that person's really great. No, God uses the weak things of this world to confound those who are strong. And so he says, beware if you are making others fall into, into your traditions over just they're being free in Christ. Paul makes a prayer. In the book of Ephesians, the third chapter, it's a beautiful and lovely prayer. Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, For this reason, he says, I bow my knee before the Father. He says, From whom every family in heaven and on earth has derived its name. He says in verse 16 that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory, note now, to be strengthened. His glory, His riches to strengthen us with power through His Holy Spirit in the inner person. 
It goes on to say in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. He can do far more than, than what he's doing here with us. Beyond all that we might ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. To Him, to God Almighty, be the glory. Note what it says where. In the church and in Jesus Christ. You and I are to glorify our Lord in and through our lives, through our church and through our relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, to all generations, forever and ever. That's never to stop. Now, if you go back to Romans chapter 14 and look at verse 1, there is a key word there. It is accept. In the Greek, it's a long Greek word. It's P-R-O-S-L-A-M-B-A-N-O. It means to willingly accept. It means to accept willingly as an ongoing process within your life. And the person that we are to examine is none other than our our Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 1, it talks about accept. Romans 15, verse 7, shows us how we are to accept. Jesus himself, it is said, Paul writes, therefore accept one another. That word accept is the same word in Romans 15, 7 as it is in Romans 14, 1. So he says, accept one another. Now he says how? Just as Christ also accepted you and me. That's the key. Accept one another. And when in doubt, let's be like Christ. The word weak in faith, the words weak in faith, are are very important to understand back in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. You see, Paul is counting on our ability to establish unity within the Word of God, within the church, within our lives, to those who are weak in faith. But the weak might fool you. Read again with me verses 2, 3, and 4. Watch what Paul says. He says, One person has faith that he may eat all things, but the other, who is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats, he says, you who eat everything, don't regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat. And you who do not eat, don't judge the one who does eat. God has accepted all of us. Therefore, verse 4, I know I paraphrased verse 3, but I wanted it to kind of make some sort of sense to you of what he's saying there. In verse 4, therefore, you... Or who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he will stand or fall. And he will stand. We will stand. For the Lord is able to make us stand. That's the beauty of the scriptures. Which is it? Can you eat veggies? Or can you only eat veggies? You know, I was reading the commentary on this. And I love the commentary on, on Dr. Dr. J. Vernon McKee about this. When he was first doing his ministry in Texas, when he was a younger man, in Texas he was at this church, and at this church they had certain laws that you could and could not do. They weren't biblical, they were just certain laws. For instance, everyone down south in Texas smoked. They smoked like chimneys. But when they had any kind of social gathering together, 
No, no swimming pools. No girls and boys swimming together in swimsuits. No way. So he's living with that. No problem. No problem whatsoever. He gets called to a church in Los Angeles. Yeah, I know. You can already see it coming. He gets into L.A. and no one smokes. No, no. Can't smoke in church. But we're having a pool party and everybody can come. And, and he was thinking to himself, which one is right and which one is wrong? The truth of the matter is, neither is right, neither is wrong. They're both what, he is, what Paul is explaining here in verse 2. For the one who only eats vegetables, he can't look down and judge the guy who eats everything. <laughs> and the guy who eats everything can't think he's better than the guy who just eats veggies. He's using that as just an example. It could be in anything. It could be in anything. Anything that we do here that isn't an issue of sin. You've got to remember now, we're not talking about a sin issue. We're talking about just those things that are traditional. Now, ironically, God sees the one who won't eat here in verse 2 as the one who is weak in faith. Paul warned the legalistic Jews who tried to move the, the believers away from being, they wanted them all to be circumcised. And some of them, some of them didn't want to be. And so there was this issue that was running through the church. And so God wanted Paul to explain to the people in Rome and you and me to not try to move people away from their God-blessed freedom. I want to say that again. If there's one thing that I would love to leave with you as a man that stands up here every week is that to, to un- make you understand how free you are in Christ, how much freedom you have as a believer. There's far more do's than there are don'ts within the Word of God. And God has freed you and me up to be everything that we want to be. But Jesus had a very somber warning against those who caused anyone to stumble. He said uh, concerning a little child was brought to him. This is in Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. And he says, whoever causes one of these little ones that he held to believe in me to stumble, he said. And then he places this this tremendous warning upon him. He says, it it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And then he moved it in the next verse to the society as a whole. What we are talking about here in chapter 14 of Romans, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. He says, woe to the world. See, he takes it away from that issue because of its stumbling blocks. Stumbling blocks. He told the Jewish leaders of the day, the religious leaders, he said, you, have, you are stumbling over the very cornerstone. They, they missed him. And so he says, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. They are going to come amongst us. But woe to the person to whom the stumbling block comes. In other words, I'm not to set up something that makes you tedious about your faith or makes you worried about your faith. I don't want to do that. None of us should do that. 
You see, in verses 3 and 4, we cannot hold in contempt, nor can we judge anyone that may or may not do whatever it is we want them not to do or to do. It is the Lord, it says in verse 4, who is able to make us stand In regard with contempt and to judge another, it's not our job, it's not our concern, unless it is sin. But to consider another person with contempt or try to judge another person, that's not our job. That's God's business. And He is able to make us stand. So what I believe Paul is doing here is reasoning with those in Rome, and I'm reasoning now with you, is that both weak as well as strong are in need of God to make us stand. Because none of us have the whole package. None of us are are totally weak and none of us are totally strong. We all need help from God. And so a believer who is kind of strong is in just as much need of the Lord's strength as a a believer who is weak. Because the fact of the matter is this. We are all weak in everything we possess. Everything that you have, everything that you have, everything that I have has been given to me by God, been given to you by God as a gift. You know, basically it was what Reagan said here a while ago when he talked about something that he learned at camp. And he said it was in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We have been talking about that verse quite frequently. It says in that verse, we are God's workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has already prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. God's already prepared whatever it is He has for you and for me. All He asks us to do is walk in it. We don't need the strength. We don't need the power. We have His strength, His power. And that's what Paul is saying. We are all weak in everything we possess. Everything that we have is a gift from God. But oftentimes, oftentimes within a church, and let me close with this kind of thought, but I want to I kind of hit you with a all the wonders and the blessings that God has poured out upon you and me as a believer. Within a church, sometimes there are liberated people, people that are just free. They, they can do anything and everything. Nothing bothers them. And they have a tendency sometimes to think those who are legalistic in their faith are so rigid, are so self-righteous that they sacrifice their personal joy and limit their usefulness to the Lord. That's not true at all. God made them just as they are. He'll make them stand too. On the other hand, those of us who are kind of rigid and, and, and kind of legalistic in what we do, we, we come to believe those who are liberated do just anything, that they're so self-centered, they're so loose in their living, that they can't possibly serve the Lord effectively. They're, they're just out there. That's not true either. We all work hand in hand, serving the Lord together. So Paul simply says, who are you to judge the servant of another? We can't do that. We shouldn't do that. And the reason I think Paul was able to write this so clearly was what happened to him in first in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul, I think, had enough 
of them telling him that he was this, that, and the other. That he wasn't what they had expected. And Paul said to them, this is in verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. To me, he says, it's a small thing that I would be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, he says, I don't even examine myself, Paul says. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, because I am conscious of nothing against myself, and yet by this I am not acquitted. No, he says, the one who examines me, same thing he said in Romans, the one who examines me, he says, is the Lord. Same thing with you. Same thing with me. You see, we will stand because the Lord is able to make you and me stand. Now let me read you some things that just close on this. Earlier in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, Paul said these most beautiful words. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect, Paul wrote? God's the one who justifies. He goes on to say in verse 34, Who is the one who will condemn? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God and also intercedes, prays for you and for me. Who, he says, will separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to say in verse 38 of Romans chapter 8, I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things to come, no, the things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Jesus assures those who belong to him. He says in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, Jesus says, and they follow me. He says, I have given eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You are so secure in Christ. Jude, the 24th verse, promises, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, confirms that Jesus Christ is able to save forever those of us who draw near to God through Him, through Jesus Christ. Paul proclaims in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He, God, who began a good work in you and in me, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And lastly, let me close with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Peter assures you and me, that you and he, that we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is to be revealed for us in the last days. Great, great news, folks. We are secure in Christ. So what Paul is saying to you and me is let's love one another. That's the bottom line. If you see someone that's doing something that just bugs you to death, just start praying that God will bless them. Because they're probably praying that God will change you. (laughs) You know, it's the way we all are. It's just the way it goes. And so what we ought to do is just love one another. The greatest privilege that we've ever been given as a body of believers is just to accept each other just the way we are and understand that we will stand because God will allow us to stand. 
I'm a minute early. It adds up, yes. Listen, I love you with all my heart. I want to thank everybody who's here. I just thank you so much again. I thank you from the bottom of my heart that you've come and given us a, an hour, an hour and a half of your day. It's, it's, uh, it's, we, I don't take this lightly. None of us do. We're very honored that you're here. Love you to death. Love you to death. Father, thank you for everybody here. I pray your blessings upon them. Look forward, to, uh, Father, to what you have before us as a body of believers. Pray that we will continue to love one another with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, just as we do you. And as you said, Father, the second command is, is as great as the first. We should love our neighbors just as we do ourselves. That's a great privilege, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.